0: Welcome to the Eclectic Highway. My name is Kelly Senecal, and today we are going to talk about emissions regulations and real-world driving emissions. For this topic, I cannot think of a better guest than Amaya Joshi from Corning Incorporated. As you're about to hear, Amaya is a wealth of knowledge when it comes to both global regulations and the powertrain technologies to help us meet them. So without further ado, let's get into the interview. Amaya, for listeners who are not familiar with you and your work, can you talk a bit about your background and what you're working on now? Uh, sure, Kelly. So um, I'm originally a mechanical engineer. Um, so I
1: did my undergrad in uh, in India in a city called Pune. It's a uh, um, uh, in in uh, I got a bachelor's in uh, mechanical engineering, and then I came out to the US. I studied uh, uh, my grad studies were in the University of Delaware, where I did a PhD in. Uh, mechanical engineering again, but my uh, my topic was on combustion, and it was like a detailed reaction mechanism development for um, aromatic fuels, and that really took me more towards like a chemical engineering, uh, uh, you know, side of things. Uh, I later did a postdoc in chemical engineering at the Colorado School of Mines on solid oxide fuel cells. Um, so really, I pass off more as a chemie <laughs> than a mechi nowadays. But uh, my my um, you know, specialization is really more on reaction kinetics uh, and, uh, and and reactive flows, really. Um, so yeah, so that's that's my technical background.
0: Okay, very nice. So you worked on fuel cells for a little bit, you said.
1: For a little bit, yeah, yeah. It was it was less than a year. I mean, I, I started doing my postdoc again. It was a it was a cool project uh, funded by the uh, Office of Naval Research, and uh, it was on uh, developing um, uh, again reaction mechanisms for uh, solid oxide fuel cells. Uh but the, but then yeah, I, I I I don't think I I like went too deep into it. I roughly I don't know what, ten minutes or ten months into it or so I, I got a I got this you know job offer and I, I I you know took an industrial position.
0: So when I do my episode on fuel cells, I'll I'll ask someone else to come on for that one. Oh yeah, you How's should. It? No, that's, okay. a, that's a cool, cool, <laughs> cool area. Seriously. Okay. Yeah. okay, cool. So how how have you been doing and you know I've been asking um, all of my guests, this question because unfortunately all of these podcasts have been happening during this pandemic, okay. and hopefully I, I don't have to keep asking this question for too much longer. But how has <laughs> how has the COVID nineteen pandemic changed your life during these last few months? <laughs> yeah, that's a that's an interesting
1: question, right? I mean, I mean, everyone's going through the sort of the same. Uh, uh, we're all in the same boat, you know, working from home and and kind of juggle. Uh, work life uh, but I'll tell you this so I about uh, uh well it's been uh, a year and a half now I, I moved from Corning New York uh, so it's a town in upstate New York to uh, more like a suburb of Philadelphia uh, and, and I've been working from home really you know my, my job just is it's it's on the road mostly I'm traveling a lot so I, I'm a you know I, I work out of my home office uh, for the most part anyway so i was kind of set up for this uh, anyway in in many in many ways it hasn't really affected my uh my my you know like my work in the office per se uh but uh but obviously what i what I really miss is the people interaction and and i'm i'm really um uh, you know again missing the the part where I travel to conferences actually meet people have these you know technical interactions, and so on now i must say i've been really really pleasantly surprised at how much can be done at home, so like you know you 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 saw i gave this um essay talk and, and a webinar and i and I offered this on online right I said that you know if if people are interested let's uh, let's do something online, and I was so surprised to see such a such a positive response. But but even otherwise, right? I mean, there's so many conferences that have been moved online, and I'm I'm getting all of this stuff right here at my desk, and it's fantastic. And and many people are just you know putting stuff online and and making it free, and you can go back and look at the videos. So I must say it's it's kind of been nice. Uh, and then the other last thing I'll say is you know I, sometimes I can be lazy. At you know I go to a conference and I hear good stuff, but it takes me time to sort of sit down and read those papers later or go go through those presentations later. Now that I'm home, I'm not traveling as much. It gives me also some more time. So there's, there's obviously positives and negatives, but I, I sure hope this is over soon. I don't want to be doing this uh, <laughs> uh, for too long. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I agree with you. I mean, I mean, the, nothing beats actually seeing people face to face and having those technical conversations face to face live in person, but I agree with you. I mean, I'm, I'm very happy with, you know, we had our own conference that we had to do virtual and I've Mm -hmm. been to a number of other events as well and people are making it work, right? So we're doing the best we can and there are, there are definitely some positives to it. Right. So, 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 so thank you for that. Um, So you, you hit on SAE uh, a little bit there in your, in your, in your answer. How was the virtual conference last week, the SAE virtual conference?
1: Oh it was it was it was beautiful it was really nice so uh i mean first of all i think really good that the you know the organizers could move everything online at, at such you know relatively short notice it's a, it's a huge conference right every year we have like i mean thousands of people showing up from all over the world so i'm glad they moved it online i i thought the the quality of the talks and and, and you know the content covered was excellent uh it was it was pretty smooth to you know get on move you know these through these virtual rooms and all of that is it is really cool um i i just wish there were more live talks you know it's it's always again it, it's good to hear someone talk and just just hear the whole presentation right there but then on the other hand it's it was it's so nice that they have uploaded Everything so that you can actually see those or hear those talks through the year. Like I think there's like a one-year limit in which you can hear those. Yeah, so it's it's really cool. You can go back and listen to those uh, talks again. Uh, and 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 I like the format. You know, some live 45-minute talks or panel discussions, and then the 20-minute talks. Uh, and and I like the panel discussions. You know, what it was it was a good kind of idea to pool. A, a couple of talks together in one session and have a little bit of a discussion, so I kind of enjoyed that too. So yeah, I, it was it was a good experience
0: overall. Yeah, that sounds great. So you had a presentation last week, and I believe it was a keynote presentation, correct? Uh, that's correct. Yeah, it's like an annual talk actually that we
1: we give, and uh, mm-hmm. it's been it was my uh, second third year giving it uh, given. Previously, I would give it with a. Uh, with the co-author uh, Tim Johnson, many people know him. Uh, yes. Either, but uh, yeah, so so then I have I've been doing this for a couple of years, and yeah, I did that uh, last week as well.
0: Yeah. How did you come into that? So I, I know every year you do write a review paper, kind of reviewing vehicle engine efficiency and emissions, and what are the updates you know from the previous year, and then you also give your talk, which I know a lot of people really appreciate it. It's a really good source for getting this information. So thanks for doing that. How did you get into that role?
1: Uh, yeah, well, well. First of all, thank you. That was that was nice of you to say. It, it is uh, it is really, uh, it's a very exciting uh, uh, you know, uh, kind of highlight of my year uh, where I I pull together all of the and it's it's work done by this community, right? It's it's uh, uh, I mean, excellent papers that I, I get to read uh, throughout the year and then I pull it all together. So it's, it's kind of nice. So yeah, so I you know it's it's interesting, right? I mean, it's never. Um, like I hadn't kind of planned to be in this role ten years back, obviously. But um, I, I was I was originally in research um, at at Conning Inc. and um, in the modeling and simulation department. And I I did a you know I worked on various different projects mostly related to emissions control. And then I moved into the commercial technology uh, side of things. Uh, and I was doing this uh, role called a regional technology manager for uh, for i was covering japan and Korea regions so it was it was a very interesting role where i could then actually go out to customers and and talk about our new products and you know uh learn the you know what what problems they are trying to solve so i got a uh, the reason i'm saying is this I, I got a nice feel for everything from research to a commercial engagement in in my early part of the career and uh, and one day my you know boss basically said hey tim is retiring do you want to consider doing this uh this role and it was like the i mean i've 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 always been a huge fan of tim's work and you know he's he's a great guy so um uh you know i, I jumped at the opportunity i said yeah let me let me try it i mean i, I knew i'd be f- filling really huge shoes but then i shadowed tim for a couple of years and he's he's a great mentor so he taught me, you know, what, what the way he does things, uh, you know, uh, thinks about uh, topics, brings value to this whole, um, area. And then, uh, then, yeah, just, just started working with him, attending conferences, uh, talking to people. It's, it's really a people, um, uh, you know, sort of a, a relationship building role, uh, talking to people, understanding what everyone's working on, trying to think about it. So anyway, so I, I I got into that. And then, you know, we did a couple of joint papers, and of course, a, a lot of talks and stuff like that, and slowly eased my way into the role. And, and here I'm doing it for a couple of years now.
0: Yeah, and I have to say, you're doing an excellent job. Um, so your review that you gave last week, Uh, it did include both light-duty and heavy-duty sectors. Okay, so we're going to get a little more into the technical part of this interview now. Okay. Uh, For today's discussion, let's just stick with light-duty. What do the upcoming CO2 or fuel economy regulations look like for the U.S. and Europe? And what are some internal combustion engine technologies that will help us achieve these goals?
1: Yeah, so I think the CO2 regulations are the, I think, you know the the most important regulations that this industry is seeing right i mean previously uh, at least you know for the emissions control side of things our our biggest control for decades has been criteria pollutants right uh, particulates and NOx and oxygen, uh, carbon monoxide hydrocarbons and so on but now um, co2 is probably the one that's making is driving innovation the most in this in this industry so particularly i would say europe is is um, is the most stringent here, and it's um, requiring a. So so the the, the limit for CO two is in grams per kilometer in Europe. It is ninety five, uh, in twenty twenty one, right? Ninety five grams per kilometer, but then it tightens by another thirty seven and a half percent through this decade. So by by twenty thirty, you have to get another thirty seven percent reduction and uh that's uh, that's a that's a really uh, um, you know tough uh, tough target. now again to just to put it in context, in the past um, several years, we've been reducing um, CO2 or improving fuel economy by about two percent per year. Uh, and this uh, would require um, sort of doubling or tripling that rate of co2 reduction. Uh, now in fact, the last um, two or three years, CO2 reductions have been flat in Europe and that's primarily because diesels have declined the diesel market share and you know diesels being more fuel efficient than gasoline the the reduction of CO2 kind of stall in fact it was there was a slight in uptick in, in CO2 emissions uh so with that backdrop I think a, a further reduction by 37 percent is is pretty significant again not not at all to mention to to imply that it cannot be done but it's it just is something is pretty um uh, stringent on the us uh there's been a lot of lot of confusion in the past um couple of years unfortunately i mean there's there were these very um uh, sort of um again stringent uh standards set by by the obama administration and then they were um sort of revised and now recently EPS has put out the um final rule which is um, uh, roughly a one and a half percent reduction per year through 2026, uh, and it, it, I mean the endpoint is nowhere near as stringent as as Europe, but uh, but again it is it's a it's a reduction that that OEMs have to meet every year. And then California has its own um, sort of standard. There is uh, there have been voluntary agreements with the OEMs to to meet a uh, slightly more um, uh, tougher standard it's like a three and a half percent reduction per year but but this is gonna be played out in the courts. I think there's gonna be you know e p a and and California are gonna uh, have to come to terms with what should be the final c o two standards
0: mhm yeah so so thanks for that. So what are some of the technologies that you think will help us get there? Some of the internal combustion engine technologies first of all
1: oh yeah there's there's a there's a ton of stuff. Out there. So, so first of all, I think there are there are just the technologies that are currently available today on 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 the IC side of things, which are not uh, adopted on all uh, vehicles, right? I mean, there's there's things like even even GDI, right? Like gasoline direct injection. So so we've we've moved from port fuel injected to direct injected uh, vehicles, and I, and I haven't checked the last. Um, Actual percentage, but I don't know if it's fifty percent or 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 so in the U.S. And so there's there's a lot of room for growth of just just you know off-the-shelf technologies that need to be adopted, right? There's there's EGR, there's uh, uh, you know advanced turbochargers and and all of that uh, increasing compression ratios uh but then there's the more um there are technologies that have been recently commercialized like you know Nissan's variable compression ratio uh you know Mazda came out with their spark assisted uh, homogeneous charge compression ignition uh so there is there are uh, quite a few technologies which are giving i would say double digit gains you know 10 15% improvements which are yet to make their way on um on uh sort of the mainstream uh vehicles uh and then there's the um uh, technologies that are in early or late stages of R&D. I, I really, I'm, I'm looking at um, you know this uh, 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 lean burn uh, technologies and then uh, the uh, the uh, uh, I'm I'm blanking out. But the pre GDCI, GDCI exactly. GDCI okay GDCI, exactly. Mm-hmm. You know gasoline compression yeah. ignition uh right. technology where uh you you know you're burning gasoline in a in diesel like fashion and and that um you know currently we are looking at about 30 to 40 percent reduction uh compared to today's um state of the art gasoline. 30 uh, percent reduction i mean I, I I mentioned earlier that europe is acquiring a 37 percent well it, it almost gets you there and this is without any any uh, any advanced um, electrification and we are just talking about none to mild hybridization uh, so it's it's really cool and and then of course the um, other is um, hybridization <laughs> I, w- I must say I mean there are there are vehicles today that you can buy. Um, right. I mean, the Toyota Camry, for instance, the regular versus hybrid gets you like a 40 percent uh, reduction in fuel, fuel consumption. That's that's pretty amazing. Right. I mean, for what, two or three thousand dollars more. Uh, it's so, yeah, there's there's a lot of technologies out there which uh, which are going to make their way onto onto, uh, onto modern engines.
0: Yeah, I was going to ask about electrification and you kind of hit on it there. So um, clearly hybrids can help uh, with both efficiency and CO2 levels. But let me ask you this: I mean, what about elect- fully electric vehicles? I mean, won't fully electric vehicles get us all the way to the target?
1: Well, uh, fully electrics, of course, are, are gaining in popularity. No, no doubt about it. So, it's a great technology. I think they're they're. It's impressive how how quickly they've been uh, you know uh, making progress every year uh, in in reducing the the uh, cost of of the technology and and penetrating the market. But uh, you know, we sell what. 90 million vehicles per year uh, all around the world and i think not all markets are ready for for deep electrification there are there are uh, there are still some practical issues to be solved um a in terms of the uh charging infrastructure right i mean not everyone has a has a charger a, a high speed charger so so you know you you need to tackle that issue again none of these issues by the way that i'm going to talk about are are unsolvable but it's just that it's going to take time and in the meantime we need to keep working on improving the ic ic side of things uh so there's the charging there is the range anxiety that still people have again it, it's related to charging right if, if you're going to be driving uh long distances and you you know you you run out of charge and that's an issue or you don't want to be really pulling into a gas station or uh, <laughs> should a gas station uh you know like a, a shopping center just to, to charge your vehicle for an hour uh but uh, but there's that side of things but i think the the biggest one of course is the Cost right now. I mean, there's still the mainstream, um, you know, uh, sedans that that a regular consumer would like to buy, are are yet quite quite expensive, right? On the 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 fully battery electric vehicles. So there is that upfront sticker cost that is uh, co- prohibitive. And you know, I I, I bought a, a Subaru um, uh, Forester last year, and I was I was looking for all sorts of vehicles, and you know, I I got that for like twenty eight thousand dollars now you don't get that size uh, of a vehicle in a in a fully electric and it's they're quite quite expensive if you you go for for electric so uh, so those costs have to come down uh, and then going to the heart of your uh, topic right co2 reductions i mean the 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 it is it is still definitely true that uh, if you're going to be charging your electric vehicle with uh, with with your you know uh, electricity that you get at home it's it's uh it depends on how clean that electricity is as it connects to the uh, you know uh, to the grid so there are parts of the world um, california uh, new york uh you know other parts where where the, the grid is relatively clean canada very clean uh, and by clean i mean the carbon intensity right in grams of co2 per kilowatt hours um, can be uh, can be low. I think it, California is like 200, and Canada is 45 or 50. I think it's really clean. That's that's great. So you're taking clean energy and charging your vehicle. But in other parts of the world, it's huge. I mean, the 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 US itself is uh, you know I don't know what 450, 500 grams per kilowatt hour is average. Um, but but uh, you know China and India are, uh, 600, 700 grams per kilowatt hour. Even within the US, different states have different. Uh, carbon intensities so if you're going to be charging your vehicle using uh g- the grid it, it better be clean otherwise you're just basically uh you know shifting the problem from the uh tailpipe to uh, to the stack right essentially and so um if we, uh, the ultimate goal is to reduce co2 from entering into the atmosphere and it, it doesn't matter where you where you emit it so exactly. I think that's yeah so i think as as time goes and grid gets cleaner that will be a solution but we have to look at all solutions today. We cannot just rely on one, right? I mean, we have to improve ICs so that people who continue to buy, in 90 million vehicles per year. So if people are going to buy vehicles this year, they better be cleaner because they are <laughs> going to be around for 10 years. I mean, the average Correct. life uh, life of a vehicle is what, 10, 12 years? They're going to be around for a decade plus. So we we be better. And then, you know, there's other things like renewable fuels, right? E-fuels. We're talking about so many uh, technologies that are uh, sort of vying to reduce CO2 by a lot, and so we should be should be looking at all.
0: Agreed. So it sounds like you agree with me that the future is eclectic. <laughs> I, I love that. <laughs> it, 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 uh, yeah, it actually yeah, kind of sums up everything neatly. We have to look at all, all technologies together. Definitely, definitely. Now let's look at sort of the other side of the coin. So we, we talked about CO2. Um, and you hit on the criteria pollutants kind of earlier in the conversation, but I want to come back to those. So... First of all, can you tell our audience what do you mean when you say criteria pollutants? What are they, um, and what are their regulations in the U.S. and Europe? Right, right.
1: Um, so, so by criteria pollutants, uh, I mean uh, pollutants such as uh, NOx, nitrogen oxides, right? Ni- uh, nitric oxide, nitrogen dioxide, uh, carbon monoxide, hydrocarbons, uh, and particulates. So, essentially, these are the pollutants which. Are associated with health uh, health concerns, right? They if you inhale them, they they lead to health issues. And um, and uh, uh, the other part of your question was around regulations again.
0: Yeah. So, what are what do the regulations look like in the U.S. and Europe of these criteria? Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. So, so,
1: so the the U.S. So, so first of all, taking a step back, I think so the. Regulation started in the '70s in the U.S. right with the Clean Air Act. So, the U.S. was the at the at the forefront of uh, setting regulations for criteria pollutants. This was all this started with uh, with smog issues in Los Angeles and around that time. And so, the Clean Air Act really set the first uh, sort of goals. And and so, since then, California and the U.S. have been leading the gas um, emission uh, targets. Uh, and even today, the um, the US regulates as a as a combined NOx plus um, uh, hydrocarbon, uh, and the and the limit for that co- combined NOx and hydrocarbon is the most stringent in the world. It is, it is uh, targeting around uh, not around it is targeting thirty milligrams per mile of uh, NOx and hydrocarbon together, uh, which is an incredibly small small amount. Yeah, and and um, and uh, and those are the so called you 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 know you are about lev 3 or SULEV um, uh, vehicles uh, or or they are called in the us do 3 bin 30 so the 30 stands for 30 milligrams per mile uh, that's the, that's the us um, now in europe um china again they are the units are different milligrams per kilometer but uh, the the gas standards are um, 60 milligrams per kilometer of gasoline D- diesel uh, is 80 milligrams per kilometer china is um, China is uh, getting uh, more stringent, so China 6B uh, is you know further cutting it down by a factor of two uh, to 35 milligrams per kilometer, and then it's also technology agnostic, so it's like both gasoline and diesel have the same um, uh, same limit. And then uh, let's see, oh, on the particulate side, that's so the particulates is interesting. It is actually now Europe and China are leading in the sense that the the regulations are more filter enforcing in in China and uh, Europe. So they have adopted a particle number standard. Uh, So all vehicles have to uh, emit less than 6 to the 11 um, particles per uh, per kilometer. And uh, so that's 0.6 billion particles per kilometer uh, and less than that, whereas the U.S. has uh, has traditionally had a particle mass-based standard, and um, in the U.S. currently it's three milligrams per mile. California tightens it further to one milligram per mile, uh, starting 2025, phases in through 2028, um, and so so, just in California and and states which uh, follow California, it'll it'll further reduce this one milligram per mile standard, but not all over the uh, country and, and and that's important. And these details are important because essentially what that means is that you know today diesels all over the world. I mean, with with these advanced standards, uh, do require filters. Um, on the gasoline side, however, uh, Europe, China, even India, uh, as it raises in uh, the BS6 standard, will require filters for gasoline direct injected uh, and even port fuel injected in China uh, vehicles. In in the U.S., uh, the mass standards are just not stringent enough, so that even the one milligram per mile standard might not require all vehicles to have GPFs, and uh, and that's a bummer because you know we're going to have uh, vehicles the same kind of vehicles in Europe with filters being sold in the U.S. without filters, which is uh, really not good good for our for our environment for our, um, our health basically, uh, but yeah, those are those are sort of the the. I would say uh, uh regulations
0: on the gas side and the and the particulate side, okay, so what's being speculated for future regulations? Do you have an inside scoop on that that you could share with us
1: uh yeah, so um u uh, s again has has sort of uh, you know there is the tier three standards and the and the left three standards that are in place um, we have to we have to see i mean i think tier four uh, I, I just saw a little bit of discussion started on that topic. It'll be a it'll be some time before, um, before they. Uh, I'm sorry, I was just getting another call. So um, before they uh, start talking about um, uh, the next uh, set of standards, but there's going to be a lot of uh, emphasis, at least in California, on in-use compliance. So so the the thing is, as you're reaching these. Uh, near zero emission limits, right? Especially on the gas side, we are at 30 milligrams per mile of uh, combined NOx and hydrocarbons. Uh, the, the issue that California is really trying to address is in use compliance, making sure that all vehicles truly have um, 30 milligrams per mile or less under all sorts of driving conditions. Uh, there are topics such as um, uh, 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 ensuring low emissions uh, under um, uh, all sorts of cold start uh, uh, conditions. So so there are there are regulations which limit, uh, uh, I mean, currently there's a lot of focus on ensuring that emissions during cold starts are low. So these are emissions when you first turn on the key in the in the morning and, and the engine and after treatment system is still cold, uh, making sure that the emissions are low during cold starts. But then what happens is, what happens when you go, let's say you watch a movie and, uh, you know, you come out after two hours or, you know, at a, at a theater, you come out uh, after two hours and then you turn on the uh vehicle now your your engine is cold uh your engine is is uh, warm sorry your after treatment system is is also below the light of, of temperature and so you have sort of the worst of both worlds right your cold start strategies of the engine don't kick in your after treatment system is cold and so you actually have uh you can even have more emissions and so again it's, it's a situation like these that california is trying to trying to address uh so uh, having different cold soak testing and stuff like that on the in in europe and in china they are beginning to think about euro seven uh, china seven regulations europe uh, there is uh, a lot of um, discussions on uh, first of all um, making sure that the, the emission limits on gasoline and diesel, GDI, PFI, everything are at the same level. So there's no, no differentiation in the limits there. Um, one very important uh, consideration is going to, uh, to regulate even finer particles. So like currently there's a, a cutoff at 23 nanometers. So, it, so the limit that I previously mentioned, 6 to the 11, it only particles above 23 nanometers are counted, just just because of the instrument uh, limitations. But knowing that even finer particles can go deep into the lungs and they are especially more harmful, uh, there is now uh, a lot of consideration to moving that cutoff down to 10 nanometers, and uh, it seems like that is that is very likely to to happen, um, and. Um, so, so there's that. Um, then there is uh, discussions on regulating new species. So there is no uh, limit on uh, ammonia or formaldehyde today, um, and and so species like that uh, might might get um, uh, regulated in the future. <clears throat> of course, tightening of limits, right? So as I mentioned, U.S. is the tightest on gas standards. So there's room for Europe and China to reduce their tailpipe limits for NOx, hydrocarbon, CO. Uh, carbon monoxide currently has a limit under lab testing for wltc but uh, not on real world driving emission um uh, rd tests and so uh, there could be a limit on co um, and and that has implications for you know fuel enrichment for example uh, dynamic driving so um again lots of uh, you know various elements are being considered under under the european sort of post-EURO-6 regulations. Uh, one other quick thing I'll mention is uh, the so-called conformity factor. It right? is the multiplication factor um, by which the lab-based limits are, um, are are multiplied to get the limit for the RD cycle. Uh, this accounts for the PEMS instrument um, uh, capabilities. And that factor... Um, has been tightened over the years. So, you know, initially it started off with 2.1 for NOx and um, our particulates, and then it's been tightened to 1.5 and then uh, 1.37 recently for NOx. So um, again, we expect that to continue. So that the, the idea basically in the end, it would mean that you should emit the same amount onto real world driving as you would in the lab. And so that's uh, that's also sort of trend we should see continuing in the in the future.
0: Yeah, and I wanted to ask you about that specifically. So I'm glad I'm glad you brought that up. So if we talk about laboratory test cycles, right, there's been kind of a shift in how those are done over the past several years. Can you talk about how and why this testing has changed? And how have real world driving regulations helped move us toward cleaner vehicles?
1: Oh yeah that that has been a that has been a huge uh, shift in this industry right and and has again spurred a lot of innovation uh, in the past few years I mean it it um, by the way it interestingly it started even before before Dieselgate somehow people associated with with Dieselgate where um, vehicles were emitting more in the lab uh, as compared to uh, I'm sorry were emitting more in the real world as compared to in the lab because of uh, cheating um, and, and, and uh, calibration that was done just to just to do that but but that's not I mean there were regulators were onto this even before that the idea being that look um, uh, w- what's done today under lab cycles right you have the so-called federal test procedure in the US um, and you have the WRT so world harmonized light duty transient uh, test cycle uh, in, in Europe, and again, other countries may have other test cycles, but the idea is to run a vehicle in the lab on a chassis dyno uh, with a prescribed speed trace. Um, so you start off under cold conditions, uh, you run the vehicle, um, again, uh, with the prescribed uh, uh, speed, uh, and, and the idea is to mimic roughly, you know, uh, regular driving that you would expect in urban, rural uh, motorway driving conditions and so so there have been like these prescribed uh tests and and they've been incredibly useful right you, you you should be able to repeat the uh procedure and and compare different vehicles and and make sure that they're meeting the norms and so on and that has been traditionally done uh and so when i mentioned for example 30 milligrams per mile in the u.s as a then you you have to meet 30 milligrams per mile you have to emit less than that on the ftp test cycle um under under ambient conditions, now um, what was found increasingly is that okay, so the vehicles do pass those limits, but then if you're if you're driving on on the road, there's so many factors that affect uh, the emissions, right? There's there's the ambient temperatures, you know, if you're if you're driving under really cold conditions, as as uh, happens a, a lot, in uh, you're in the US in the northern hemisphere, well, then you're going to be emitting more. Uh, if you're driving dynamically, if you're you know doing doing a lot of uh, accelerations, if you're going uphill, uh, all of that you know there are a lot of stop and go conditions in urban driving. These these are just not you know you cannot capture all of these in, in lab conditions. And so there are the vehicles are bound to emit more under real world driving conditions. And so uh, the thought was okay, what if we have real uh, you know. Uh, uh emissions are being um uh, measured on the vehicle as as it's driven around and so that that's led to these so called r d so real world driving emission norms in in europe uh which was again where you drive a vehicle as you would regularly under regular traffic conditions um and then analyze the emissions at the end of a valid r d test and by valid i mean you know there there are some conditions that have been put so that it's not like uh, you know, you have to have to have some some boundaries on what's a what's a reasonable test. But the idea is that at least the way it stands currently is drive one third in the uh, urban, and if to start in urban driving, uh, the one third in rural and one third on the motorway or highways, uh, and so it, it covers all sorts of speed ranges. Uh, and then there are boundaries on. Temperatures, so there's a you know you can go down to let's say zero and and go up to 35 or 38 C, uh, depending on the various countries, and then uh, also on the altitude. So there's a limit on how you know high of an altitude that you can go up to to test. But then it, it again broadens the the level of testing, and then you have to make sure that the end of the test your uh, uh, emissions are again below the below the below the limit. Um, uh now again, there's this conformity factor with which you know the lab so if if your lab, lab limit is sixty milligrams per kilometer for gasoline NOx it's multiplied by one point five that gives you ninety milligrams per kilometer for RDE. and so you have to be below that limit uh but again that you know RDE has been a is has, has been a, a a very important change in the regulations because it's now really ensuring that vehicles are actually cleaner on the road and you asked about what impact it it has had and and really you know there's been uh i mean first of all rd has been relatively recent right there's been various packages in europe there have been like four packages to revise rd now all of those revisions are done they've been legislated they're out there and modern vehicles have to meet that uh but uh there's been data coming out you know actual certification data showing that Pre- and post-RDE vehicles, um, the post-RDE vehicles are up to 90% or, or more uh, cleaner than pre-RDE vehicles. So so you can actually see the NOx has, has reduced tremendously. And, and they're actually much below the limit, by the way. I mean, the limit has been 80 milligrams per kilometer for diesel for NOx, and and vehicles are, are well below that limit. So that, you know, we can see a pathway to even post Euro 6 regs, uh, uh, you know, looks looks quite reasonable.
0: Okay. Yeah. Cool. So how are we meeting those regulations? So you talked about how, and you talked about how NOx is 90%, you know, lower than what it was pre-RDE. What's the technology for both NOx and I would say for particulates that's getting us there?
1: Right. So uh, so for NOx, the, the leading technology is uh, SCR, so selective catalytic reduction of NOx. So the, uh, the, the um, technology is where you basically um, inject urea upstream of a SCR catalyst. Uh, urea decomposes to form ammonia. Ammonia reacts with NOx and it reduces it. That's why selective uh, catalytic reduction. So it reduces NOx to form nitrogen, right? And it's uh, there are various catalyst formulations. There's copper um, iron based zeolites, but it's primarily zeolites. Uh, and then again, the the, the NOx is, is you know uh, is reduced to nitrogen uh, on the yeah. SCR. The other uh, technology is lean NOx trap. Where the idea, as, as the name says, is a trap. So it it actually absorbs uh, or stores nitrogen. uh sorry, knocks under cold conditions, and then it releases it when uh, the as as the uh, catalyst starts warming up, and then it actually gets treated further downstream by the by the SCR. So so there's there's these two. Primary technologies, I would say, that have been adopted, uh, and again, we are increasingly seeing, uh, you know, bigger SCR's, I would say, uh, and also now a trend towards dual SCR. So typically, there would be like one. So so a typical diesel after treatment is a DOC, so diesel oxidation catalyst followed by a filter, DPF. A diesel particulate filter and then a SCR, but now we are looking at having two SCR. So one, you know, more closer to the engine to so that it it warms up faster and it it allows earlier urea injection, and then each SCR having its own urea injection uh, unit, and so so that dual SCR is becoming popular. By the way, the limitation of this technology is that the urea cannot be injected below 200 C or so or below 180 C because then it starts forming nitrates uh, deposits and and so it it really cannot and and of course the uh, catalyst itself is not not as active below a certain temperature so that is the key limitation and that's where much of the research is being focused now that's all on the diesel side on the gasoline side of course it's you know three-way catalysts are are the technology that are used today and are incredibly efficient uh, and, uh, you know, at, at producing all NOxio and hydrocarbons. So uh, they are still the mainstay, I would say. Um, they are getting even more efficient today, despite, you know, decades of uh, of, uh, of research put into it. And um, the, the latest that I saw, you know, the DOE, the Department of Energy, has... Um, you know, every year DOE gives out funds for new projects. The 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 latest uh, project that they're funding are is actually for a 50 percent, calling for a 50 percent reduction in the precious metal usage, uh, to to achieve uh, uh, the catalyst activity on the 3 way catalyst. So that's going to be very exciting in the next uh, two or three years, I would say, where we see new catalyst formulations being coming out with with reduced PGM usage, because right right now. Uh, you know, the cost of rhodium and palladium is just through the roof. So that's the idea to get better activity with low cost. But then that would also mean, you know, that can we get even better activity? Can we go to sulf 20, for example, you know, going to even below uh, 30 milligrams per mile at, of uh, tailpipe and uh, hydrocarbons. So, so again, lots of, um, I would say, work on the, on the, uh, uh, on the, uh, 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 gasoline side as well. Uh, on the, Particulates. It is uh, again. Diesels um, have uh, have had uh, diesel particulate filters for a, for a long time now. I would say, um, both in Europe and 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 the US and uh, China and India. Now, uh, well, India started adopting DPS uh, following this uh, BS6 now this year. But uh, again, DPS are uh, very. You know, proven technology, very mature technology. Essentially, it's where you know, for 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 your listeners who who wouldn't know, there is gas enters these um, these uh, uh, filters, these ch- ch- multiple channels from one side, but then they have a these channels have a plug at the other end of the of the substrate, so that the, the gas is forced to make a turn through the walls, and that air should gets uh, collected on 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 these uh, 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 on these ceramic walls, uh, and then the clean air, you know. Goes out of the out of the outlet channel. So so DPFs have been around for a long time. They they work well. Uh, what is new and exciting for is is the adoption of this technology in the gasoline side as well, because adopting GDI gasoline direct injected uh, has led to more uh, fuel economy, but also GDI leads to particulate formation. So some of the uh, you know issues of diesels comes into GDI, and so as GDI emit more particulates, there have been regulations in Europe and. China and US on uh, containing those and has led to adopting GPFs. Um, And so, you know, GDIs in in Europe today do have GPFs and they limit the particulates coming out of the tailpipe uh in, in in europe so so those are those are the leading and of course on the engine not not to forget i mean on the engine there's been incredible progress you know you have high, higher pressure injectors that are being introduced just just uh you know trying to making sure that we we get to a lower um a lower engine automissions in the first place and i and i know you know this your many of your listeners may know this too there's this cool work being done in sandia too on this uh uh, ducted fuel injection. For example, it is really cool. The idea of trying to just just re- uh, practically eliminate soot in the in- engine itself. So that's that's really cool. I think that would be something very nice to sort of break this sort knock straight off. So we have to see, but lots of lots of uh you know uh, innovations happening in this space.
0: Yeah, definitely. Thanks for that. Thanks for that great summary. And I have to say, I typically focus more on what's happening inside of the cylinder, but after treatment is huge here. And, you know, we've been able to meet these regulations in large part because of these after-treatment systems. So thank you for talking about that. We want to make sure we, uh, we give all the credit in the world to the after-treatment researchers as well.
1: Yeah, and, and I'll just make one quick comment, Kelly. That you bring up a good point. I think one of the um, nice things that our treatment allows us to do, and, and this goes back to almost like one of the first questions you asked about CO2, right? Is it helps to decouple CO2 and after-treatment? So what happens is as your after treatment systems become incredibly uh, efficient, you can now calibrate your engine to have more, you know, higher engine out NOx, for for instance, and low CO2, and then rely on the after treatment system to take care of the NOx. And so what that, is, that has meant in the past, you know, decade plus is that both CO2 and NOx have been reducing. Right. And, and of course, particulates as well, just because you have a trap so that that as a overall system, the vehicle is getting both efficient as well as
0: cleaner at the at the tailpipe. Exactly. And and we do have to look at this as a whole system. So I completely agree with that. Um, that's been a huge for us. So I want to kind of shift gears a little bit here. Now, I know you're probably already starting to, to work on your twenty twenty one. Uh, SAE review, and I hope we'll be, get to see each other in person next year at SAE. Um, <laughs> but what other projects do you have coming up that our listeners might be interested in learning about?
1: Um, yeah, so I mean, I know it's it's incredible. We already have the call for papers for uh, SAE 2021. I'm kind of excited. I've, you know, um, so so I think uh, one thing, and I know we've talked a lot about light duty, but I I definitely should mention that there's the heavy duty low knocks, which is just just uh opened up a whole new world and and you know of, of technologies and innovation on uh, uh in California and so I'm gonna be keeping a close eye out on, on 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 that side of things this year uh there is uh, you know so so again so technologies that reduce knocks on the heavy duty side so that's going to be one um, the other uh is um uh on the gpf side of things i I'm really beginning to go deeper into what do the u.s regulations mean from a gpf adoption perspective and and you know the implications from a uh from uh implications to our to the air quality and to our health right so again as i mentioned earlier the one milligram per mile standard doesn't go uh you know uh as 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 uh, uh as further enough as as those in in europe to uh, ensuring that a, GPF is adopted. Uh and so I'm I'm really looking going deeper into certification data, seeing you know how many vehicles really do can meet that today, how many would need a GPF in the future, and again, what does that mean for uh for uh for for uh, air quality? Um one of the things that I'm I'm going deeper into is uh, black carbon. So GPFs not only um Collect soot, but they also collect black carbon, and black carbon is actually a known greenhouse gas uh, agent. And so, um, there's also the this idea that there's you know um, the equivalence of of black carbon and uh, CO two reduction. And so, you know, we have to look into how how GPS can also um, help with uh, reducing uh, uh, GHG emissions into the uh, into the atmosphere. So I'm, I'm looking a little bit into that. Um, and then the whole uh, idea of uh, negative-emitting vehicles, I'm, I'm also trying to go deeper into that. So the idea that uh, um, the air coming into the engine is actually dirtier than what leaves the tailpipe, right? Modern our frequency systems are so, so efficient that actually you're you're actually cleaning up the environment as as the vehicle is driving and, and and this is this is not a far-fetched idea by any means there is actual data to show that uh that you know that and i, I can you know i have some data even in my uh recent essay uh, talk but essentially uh definitely if you if you talk about filters you know um the uh, uh the, the the tailpipe uh limits are uh, uh tailpipe emissions are like you know, 10 micrograms per meter cube, I would say. And I'm just, you know, uh, a, a, thumb, a sort of a thumb rule, but but there's, there's of course, a distribution. But the ambient concentrations are like 100, 200 micrograms per cube, meter cube in, in polluted cities. So you're essentially cleaning up the environment. But I want to go deeper and really find which, under which driving conditions that holds, which driving conditions it doesn't hold, like cold starts. Clearly, we're emitting a lot more under cold starts. And then, okay, uh, as over the real world driving, uh, are we truly, uh, you know, become approaching ne- negative emissions. So that's an area. And then finally, I'd say um, e-fuels. That's an area that I haven't explored as much. I-, I know very little about. I know there's a lot of activity, especially in Europe, on e-fuels. In fact, I, you know, um, uh, put it out there that if some of your listeners know more about, you know, Companies who are doing a lot of work on e fuels are, you know, making e fuels in quantities that can be used for testing. I'd, I'd definitely like to hear more. But anyway, that's that's an area that I really want to catch up on, and, and this year. So, yeah, quite a quite a few quite a few projects lined up, and yeah, working on all of these.
0: Yeah, those all sound very exciting. Um, I'm also very interested in the e fuel topic and also the the negative emissions topic. So, I look forward to seeing what you find out there. So we have one more question here and this is perhaps my favorite question of the interview. Um, and I do want to end on a lighter note. What is one fun fact about you that our listeners might not be aware of? <laughs> okay, so uh all right. So I don't know
1: uh, that, that's a, that's a that's a super fun question. So I know it's a, if it's a, as much as a fun fact but I'll I'll just say this I'm, I'm notorious for Trying to trying to do too many things at the same time, and, and I love I love I, I think it goes with my with my current uh, job job description. But but yeah, it's I I like to learn too many things. So especially this COVID has given me this opportunity to sign up to you know all of these uh, masterclass and this and that. So but anyway, so in the past couple of years, I've tried to take up woodworking. I've made okay. a few things, most of them uh-huh. have been, have never seen the light of the living room, but they're in, in my basement, but I've done quite a bit of food working. Uh, I've taken up photography, I've, you know, oh, wow. been, um, done a lot of, no, no, it's, it's not, wow, it is just amateur stuff, <laughs> that, that that's the problem, it's amateur stuff, but I love learning that, and it's, it's been fun, and, and you know, so, so yeah, I, I've even tried doing a little bit of cooking and, uh, you know, some, to some acc- acclaim. So I, I, I try to sample a lot of different things and, and that's kind of fun. Uh, and then the other thing, maybe it's, it's very pertinent to your, uh, to this podcast, but I love driving, believe it or not, this is, this is something crazy, but I just love driving and I would rather drive than fly. And, you know, given my, my role, I love to do that. And I've done two, two cross countries. So I've gone from Delaware to uh, Los Angeles when my advisor switched schools. So I did that. I was nine days on the road. It was awesome fun. And then i I did that back when moving to Denver for my postdoc, and then back to 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 uh, not back, but to to Corning when I took up the roles. So I've done practically two two cross countries, and
0: it was so much fun. <laughs> so so wow. maybe maybe that's yeah yeah. So that's that's a lot of fun facts about you. That's awesome. <laughs> so I do have to ask now that you mentioned it, what 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 kind of camera do you have? Oh, it's a it's a, it's a oh it's a, it's a
1: very uh, basic camera. It's nothing nothing uh, super. Uh, uh, fancy but it's a nikon and i'm actually opening it up just to to make sure i give you the right model number but it's like a d3200 so again it's a very basic starter dslr right it's a 500 buck yeah. camera but but i got a yeah. whole whole host of uh accessories for it and i got into you know i mean various filters and flash and this and that and i took uh, you know courses online there's this mas- uh uh, the great American no, great online course, something like that, that, that has some really good photography courses. So I did that for a while and yeah, I've been, I've been having a lot of fun with it, but uh, I need to go to the next level and that's where, you know, I, I get hooked on to the next thing in the, in the meantime. So
0: I got to focus on something and go deeper. Yeah, that sounds awesome. And hopefully uh, we're all traveling, soon and you can get on the road and take some pictures so look <laughs> exactly to seeing those. <laughs> okay so so we are done with our interview um i want to thank you so much uh this was very very insightful we touched on a lot of different topics here and i think our listeners are going to learn a lot i learned a lot um so i want to thank you again and i hope like i said i hope we can see each other uh maybe even before next sae but hopefully we can hug some engines together soon
1: i i hope so too Kelly. i mean i really want to uh, you know, get out on the road and I, I really hope we meet in person soon. And thank you so much. This was this was so much fun.
0: Thanks this again. was a lot of fun. Thanks a lot, Amaya. Bye. Yep. Bye. That's it for this episode of the Eclectic Highway. If you liked what you heard, please subscribe to the show. It's available on Spotify and Apple Podcasts. Or you can grab the RSS feed or listen directly at eclectichighway.com. And be sure to follow us on social media on Twitter at Eclectic Highway, on Instagram at The Eclectic Highway, and you can follow me on LinkedIn, Peter Kelly Senegal. We'll see you next time, guys, and remember the future is eclectic.